and welcome to Bad Chat, the multi-award winning best therapeutic major for the lead oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 107. My name is Jay McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Nama Jolkin Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Richard Baker, who talked about his role as a radiotherapy engineer. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So I'm really pleased to introduce our guests, Chloe and Emily, who are going to be discussing their roles as occupational therapists. And you are both our first occupational therapists on the podcast. How exciting. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thank you. Oh no, we're absolutely privileged um, to have you both on and we've been really excited to have you come on and talk about your roles. So I'm going to start with you, Chloe, if that's okay. Do you mind kind of introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your career pathway? Yeah, so my name's Chloe. (laughs) I feel like I'm just so used to saying that when we see patients as well, like, hello, my name's Chloe. (laughs) Um, So I qualified in 2018 Um, So I've been working for about five years now, which just seems crazy. It's gone so quickly. Um, I went to the University of Liverpool. So was up here for three years, went back down to Essex to work again. Um, I did a bit of like physical rehab work for about two years. And that was really interesting. I think normally people tend to go for rotations, but I went straight into a static post, which is fairly unusual, but worked for me at the time. So did that. Um, then moved up here sort of post COVID did similar sort of work and then went on to general med in an acute hospital which was quite different really really interesting really varied Um, and then I started here in an oncology post at Clatterbridge February just gone. Did you always want to be an occupational therapist? Um, So initially I wanted, this sounds really weird, I always wanted to be a teacher, um, did my work experience as a teacher, now have the most unreal respect for teachers. Um, (laughs) It wasn't for me, but um, yeah, work experience was great, wasn't for me, went into sixth form, absolutely no idea what I was going to do, did like an online like skills quiz, sort of similar, you know, sort of stuff you do. when you don't know what you're doing with your life basically um came up with ot never never heard of it before um looked into it fell in love with it did a bit of work experience at the local hospital and yeah the rest is history and emily so i think i've probably i'm probably going to echo a lot of what chloe said i think for some some reason we've had very (laughs) similar if not exactly the same career path so i know so i um graduated from the University of Liverpool as well in 2019 so a year after Chloe um unfortunately I have not worked in the NHS prior to the pandemic so I I call myself like a Covid occupational therapist I don't know what it's like to work (laughs) not in that environment now um I went straight into my acute hospital rotation so Um, I have some stroke experience, some orthopaedics, and then all of our general general medicine, general elderly care rotation. So I did that for about three years before deciding I wanted to do something static and specialised. So I started my current post here in January last year. So I've been here between a a year and a half, two years now. I can't believe how quickly that's flown. Um... I also, like Chloe, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was at school, so I just picked a variety of different A-levels just to keep my options as as broad as possible. Um, Unfortunately, I had such a brilliant teacher in sixth form who kind of used to have 
monthly meetings with all of the students just to see what career path they were thinking and I was like Mr Andrews I don't know what I'm doing and he was like I have a good feeling that you would work so well as an occupational therapist and I was like I don't know what that is he was like just go to an open day see what you think and I think it clicked from there so I went straight into uni from sixth form so yeah and I've been qualified now for about four and a half years so yeah, excited to see where the next 40 years take me. <laughs> Chloe, just reflecting on your teaching experience, how would you explain occupational therapy to our listeners? So I would say the main aim of what we do is to, if I was to sort of simplify it a little bit, would be to increase independence. So, you know, the sort of process of what we do is you know, we meet our patient, we spend a lot of time getting to know them, um, you know, getting to find out what's important to them, what their life was like, because I think the catalyst really for us getting involved is often something that's happened that's made them poorly, or it's changed something in their life, um, you know, and, and they're now not able to do what they were able to do before, and and I think sometimes when you say that, you think of, you know, all the your hobbies and things are really important, but we also focus a lot on, like, your ADLs, so your activities of daily living, so things that we really take for granted, getting up and getting washed and dressed, you know, even getting out of the bed, you know, getting on and off the loo, all things like that. So I would say OT is probably finding out what matters most to people, you know, how to make them more independent and working. I think we work really closely with the person, don't we? Mm. Rather than separately, we like to work as close with the person as possible to, to make them as independent as possible. A lot of people confuse occupational therapists with focusing very much on getting people back to work. Oh my gosh. Occy Health, we're not Occy Health. (laughs) I think I've had three phone calls today asking for me to sort someone's blood for their Occy Health appointment. I'm like, no, I'm occupational therapy, not occupational health. I think it's the the same wording, isn't it? It can be quite confusing and I don't think our our role and our jobs advertised that that well so I think we've been doing quite a lot of work here over the last year or so haven't we to try and promote what we do and teach people the whole wide range of things that we can do um, and also tell them what we don't do help clarify (laughs) fill out occupational health forms (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um I definitely have some amazing friends who are occupational therapists and I'm always in absolute awe of the work that an occupational therapist does. What does a day in the life of an occupational therapist look like? I think it, yeah, I think it varies every day really. I think we have such a wide variety of of patients here um, that each day looks quite different We're mainly ward-based here, so we've got five different wards. They're all kind of a different speciality. So we've got a stem cell transplant ward, a haematology ward, a head and neck ward, and like a solid tumours ward. So they're kind of grouped in specialities, but we have a whole wide range of of patients here. Um, And a lot of them are here for lots of different lengths of time as well. So some people are in and out within a couple of days. People are here for their um, treatments, their chemo or their radiotherapy. And then we have kind of our long-term rehab patients. So a lot of the ones that are coming in for their stem cell transplants can often be here for months. So 
we kind of get in as early as we can and try and figure out what goals they've got, what they want to work on um, and see them through that journey while they're having that treatment. So I guess on a day-to-day basis, we work quite closely with our physiotherapy team here. So often we'll go with one OT, one physio and go and see our patients together. So we could be... Um, Oh, what, what have you done today? You've took someone in the kitchen. Yeah. We do a lot of different cognitive assessments. I took someone over to WH Smith to go and do some food shopping yesterday. Um, that's a whole load of things we do. We can't a lot get of, much um, good quality food from WH Smith. <laughs> I, I was they thinking want, that. Do you know they wanted um, cheese, cheese and crackers? They have like those Branson pickle like what are they called like lunchable things we went on the hunt for them so (laughs) that's what they wanted to do so that's what we did yeah and it's so nice I think that's what's really lovely about I think OT and oncology is that we get to spend a lot of time with our patients and I think that's really really lovely because in other posts I mean you know we've both worked in in pretty much the same job didn't we before Mm. where it's really acute, it's really fast paced, so we kind of see the patient, sort of do our assessments and then they go, whereas here we get to really build up yeah. a good relationship with them and I think that, you know, that really affects yeah. how well they do and it's just it's just lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to work in oncology because I felt like this patient group were the, the people that were most appreciative and the most engaged and wanting to get the most out of their therapy and their and their treatment whilst they're in hospital so it, I feel like they're a lot more engaged here with us than than yeah. maybe in in other places um we do a lot of work with them and their families quite closely to get mm-hmm. them ready to go go home whether that be looking at bits of equipment or adaptations we can help them to yeah. to do in their homes look and see if they need any extra support when they go home from kind of different community teams carers um I feel like we do little, so many little bits of everything. It's yeah. just and, and a whole range every day, isn't it? No two days are the same. No, and I think, no. like you were saying about the patients, we get we get really sad when they go home, don't we? Oh my gosh! It's like we get, but we always say we're like as much as we love having you here, we never want to see you don't again. Come back. <laughs> Therapeutic like, range of the same. The same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess for you guys, you see the same people over such a long long period of time while they're having their treatment so it's probably a very similar relationship you guys have with them as as we do how much have things changed during the pandemic and post-pandemic i know you said emily you're a covid ot um but going (laughs) from that transition into what is day-to-day now how much has changed over the past two three years yeah, gosh. I mean, I th- when it, I think it was quite scary and unknown when that first happened. There was, I think, being in an in an acute hospital. Then the focus was just get it, people don't need to be in this environment. Get them out as soon as possible. Um, and it's a it's a lot of pressure mm. on them and on us really. Because I think it, we were probably sending people home in 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 states that we probably wouldn't now we wouldn't recommend not the most safe decisions being made at that point but it was necessary it was a very unknown period of time wasn't it um I mean I I I think it's yeah it's really different I think because I I had one year well one and a bit years before Covid hit sort mm. of pre-Covid OT and um 
very different I think yeah very different and I think we all kind of learned to be more sort of positive risk takers as well I think before then we were very much you know every box had to be ticked you had to make sure everyone was completely safe and it probably boxed people in a little bit whereas mm. I think now we kind of go are we doing this because it's the best for that person or are we doing it because it's going to help us sleep at night and I think it it definitely changes the way you practice yeah. and you know you learn yeah you learn how to take more risks positively and and I think as well you just think of the patient more you think actually it's not it's not something I would do it's not maybe the decision I would make but it's it's what they want and that's that's how we'll get them home and I think that fits mm -hmm. here as well I think because of the the nature of our work sometimes we have to mm -hmm. make those difficult decisions and say yeah it's not it's not what I would do but it's what you want and that's what matters to you so mm -hmm. I think in a in a strange way covid's really helped my practice because before I was very much a no no you can't go home we haven't done this we don't know if this is going to work and whereas now I'm a lot more a lot more chilled out I think <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think working here as well as in the pandemic, I think we think a lot more about mortality and these patients we have here are very aware that their time may be limited depending on kind of their their diagnosis and their prognosis and things. And it, I think it really gives them time to think about what's most important. And if for them, being that whatever's most important to them is being at home, then that is what we will do and we'll do it as quick as possible it's not about us mm -hmm. it's about them and we will try and speed things up as, as much as we can for them um yeah it's nice it's a good place to work I'm very happy here yeah, <laughs> I'll ask you both something that absolutely has shone through on everything that you've said so far is around the personalized care and the person-centered care for maybe healthcare professionals that aren't used to being in a position whereby maybe they have the time or the knowledge on having those personalized conversations with people, what advice would you give people? Like how do you how do you adapt and personalize your care for every single patient? I, I think it's I think as if from an OT perspective, we're kind of we're taught in uni, aren't we? Like personalized you know therapeutic use of self so we're kind of that's kind of what's drilled mm -hmm. into us to do but I think the best way I'd say for someone else to look at it is you know obviously you have to keep that that patient and sort of professional barrier up and I get that but you also have to think well actually if this was this was my mum or this was my nan or you know how would I like them to be treated or even you know if this was me how would I like someone to speak to me especially I think in difficult situations um when it can be a little bit awkward I think sometimes the best way I would say is think what what would I want someone to say to me right now and you know I think that that really helps build that sort of personal relationship is just forgetting that that person is a patient and actually they are a person and they have a family and they have a life yeah. outside of this um I think that that really helps yeah yeah and I think we're lucky as occupational therapists I think we get a lot more time than the nurse and the doctors to yeah. just have a chat with them and spend time getting to know them and I know our our bosses no matter what the waiting list looks like if that patient needs us to be with them for two hours that's what they need that's what they can have and I think as you said treating them as a person not a patient and just getting to know them so I will make them most utmost effort to I will know all of their children's names, their husband's <laughs> name. I have their house memorised in my head, their pet's names, just so that you, 
you can talk to them about things that aren't just their cancer and why they're in hospital. I think they they build quite a good rapport with us, mm-hmm. and I think they trust us, which is yeah. I think helps be- achieve better outcomes for them in the long run as well. So it's yeah. just yeah. And I mean, I always say as well, you can't be a, if you know going back to OT, you can't be an OT if you're not nosy. Because we, we are the nosiest <laughs> professions out there. Because as soon as we meet someone, we're like, so where do you live? How do you get in your house? You know, what, what size is your bed? You know, and, yeah. and it's, you know, we just, I think we're just used to it. But I think sometimes I step away from it and I think these are really personal questions we're asking people. Yeah. And I think we just, yeah, you be a little bit nosy. Can I ask, <laughs> do you like go to Ikea and think, oh yeah, that patient, that bed would be perfect for them? Yes. I feel like this is what you do. You probably walk around Ikea yeah. and think, that would be good. That would be good. That's not good. Yeah. I think as soon as I started my degree, I said, my, I was like, Mum, if anything happens to you to this house, is a nightmare. I'm like, you're never going to be able to get in all those stairs at the back. I was like, that bathroom's awful. I think you do, and you see people in the street, you're like, oh, God, I wouldn't give them... I wouldn't give them that walking aid. I think they need something yeah. different. Well, you, you, you can't. You see a Zimmer frame on the pavement, and you go, <laughs> "You want to go up to them and go, please stop, please." That's for indoors. <laughs> so then, I suppose building on that, how do you not take this job home? Because you must see so many different people for long periods of time. You know, in good flexibility, health, yeah. how they can manage ADLs. Suddenly they can't, or you see them later on when they come back for palliative or end of life treatment. Yeah, I think they do, for me anyway, they do stick with me. I think it's hard to completely leave it all in work because especially the ones that are here for such a long time, like they do stick in your mind. But I think we've got such a supportive team here, not just with our band seven, but our close physio team and all the nurses are a really good support system. And we're all able to talk these cases through if we need, if we feel like we need someone more senior to go and see someone with us, just to take some of that emotional burden away, everyone's happy to help out and, and join forces. Um, and I think we're very lucky here to have such a good palliative care team. Um, their nurses and doctors are incredible and they're always happy to help give us advice and talk things through. And I think when you've got that support here, mm-hmm. you kind of, it helps you reassure yourself and reassure the patients that what we're doing the best thing and we don't need to take it home yeah we can leave it here they're safe here no one's being rushed out of hospital it's yeah yeah I think the thing is as well the way I kind of look at it because when you tell people what like where you work and what you do people always go oh I don't know if I could do that but I think the way I kind of look at it is that you know whether it's blunt or not cancer happens and it can happen to anyone and it happens all the time and I think I would rather be on this side of it and know that maybe I've helped someone or you know I've, I've done something to make a difference in people's lives whether you know the time they have left is short or not um I think that that always helps me because it's you know you, you see it on the telly the adverts are always there and you know it happens so to to be able to say I've made a bit of a difference I think that that helps me kind of separate yeah. work and, and yeah. home as well. And I think you no know, ask always asking them what their kind of end goal is and where what they're aiming for while they're here and while they're working with us always keeps a good focus in our mind. And even if we've had a bit of a rough day and it's kind of emotionally 
toying with us. We know where we're one step closer to achieving that, and they appreciate us yeah. being there, and vice versa. Ladies, can I ask you, um, in terms of kind of what you do day to day, is there a standout kind of moment for you that you know that you've kind of done what you needed to with the patient? Oh, I'm all, they always make me cry here. <laughs> they make me cry. <laughs> I, I, we ha- with our stem cell patients, they're here for quite a few months and because of the... Um, I can't think of the right wording for it. They're, they're quite sheltered, so they're, it's quite restricted. They're on their own, kept to one room upstairs. So I think we had a patient that had been here for a few months and all they wanted to do was go outside. And while we had that beautiful heat wave last week, we managed to take them outside for the first time in about three months. And them, their partner, me and our therapy assistant were all just sat in the little garden we have here just crying tears of joy <laughs> it's just it's just the smallest things make the biggest difference to them and it just makes your day when you get to do something like that it's amazing it's, it's the yeah. best feeling and I th- yeah I think that's probably I, w- I would say the same the patients we have you know the stem cell patients are here for the longest time and often when we first go in and you know they're struggling to even get out of bed and often quite upset and, and we always say you know we're we're so confident that in a couple of weeks you know we'll be we'll have you making us a cup of tea or we'll have you in the gym or and I think when that actually happens and you can see that and people look at you and go I never I never thought I'd be able to do that again or and I think it's just the loveliest thing and yeah it's just I think sometimes it's not even what people say it's just people's faces because sometimes we get these sort of (laughs) the old-fashioned the old-fashioned gentlemen that won't that won't turn around and go oh my god that was amazing which we get sometimes with the other people it's just but you can you can see it in their face can't you and it's just yeah yeah and I think a lot of it's their family as well I think they're looking at it from a completely different perspective and sometimes these patients can't see the progress they've made and uh, we have a lot of their families that record things and take pictures for them throughout their journey and it just it's Mm -hmm. nice for them to see have those moments of clarity and see that those improvements and knowing they're one step closer to getting out of here or achieving something they want. It's yeah, it's lovely. Hi everyone. So we wouldn't be able to do what we do without some sponsorship and help from some amazing people. So we've just got a short advert here coming up just so that you can hear some of the products from one of the sponsors that have supported us right from the start. We have an incredibly exciting time at OSL at the moment with new products within our portfolio coming to the market. One new product is ClearSight Bolus, completely translucent, semi-adhesive and compatible with surface-guided radiotherapy solutions. Another product is the IBA MicroWay Proactive System, the only commercial prospective risk management solution for radiation oncology. You'll find much more information about this on our website. If you would like to browse our products, please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462694. Um, as an occupational therapist, you will be working with a very wide multidisciplinary team. How do you ensure that your role doesn't encompass other people's roles and that maybe the patient is suffering from 
lots of healthcare professionals giving lots of different pieces of advice. I'm just thinking about prehabilitation and rehabilitation pathways and things like that. You know, occupational therapists are absolutely core, but I'm also thinking because there's such a massive impetus now on prehab and rehab within oncology and, you know, nutrition, psychological interventions and things, how do you ensure that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet? Yeah, I think it, it's really, it's a big challenge, I think, in hospital because I think there's such a lot of overlap in the, the core of a lot of the, the different therapies we have here. I know there's some overlap between ourselves and the physio, so sometimes it can feel like the patient's having the same conversation with so many different people and you don't want to be that person that's going in and asking them for the fourth time that day, like, how they are, what were they doing at home before, and I think... We're all, we've developed quite a good communication system here. Our teams work very closely together. We're all in one giant office downstairs. So, um, and we have our weekly meetings with the ward and with the palliative care team. So it's, we try and make sure we have the best handover between um, yeah. professions to kind of make sure the right people are involved and doing the right role. But it can be so hard when they've got us physio, dietitian, speech and language, then all the medical team and their treatment, it's, it's overwhelming. They don't really get any peace in hospital, which yeah. which I understand. We're just another person yeah. knocking on the door, aren't we, sometimes? <laughs> I think I try and... I think, obviously, it's back to basics, isn't it? Just making sure we've read the notes as well. But like Emily said, we're in a lovely big office, so we've got really good relationships with everyone, which really helps. Yeah. But I think I always... Before I ask a question... I always think, do I need to ask this question? Am I, is, are we going to benefit from me asking this? Could I find that out from someone else? Because, and I think even when we do like our initial assessments and we're asking about home and things, I always kind of start off by saying, really sorry if you've answered any of these questions before, you know, just say. Because I think people, you can understand people getting frustrated oh, because for yeah. the fifth time someone goes, how are you today? And they're like, actually, I'm rubbish. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's kind of... Yeah, it's just thinking, am I going to benefit from asking this question? Can I find out the information elsewhere? Um, as long as, obviously, it's not nothing that's sort of going, you know, you don't need the patient's opinion on. But, um, yeah, I, but I just think, yeah, the core of it is that we've got a really good relationship with everyone, with all the different teams here. The MDT, I think, is is really good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier with us being in a slightly smaller trust. So there's only, I think, 110 beds here. So there's a lot smaller of a patient group and staff group so kind of most people know each other on first and second name basis so it's we know who we're after you see a name in the notes like i know exactly where they sit i'm going straight (laughs) over to catch up so yeah we're always they can't escape us (laughs) we're always hovering over people's desks (laughs) like hi am i right that you're also dual trained in mental health how does that work on a day-to-day yes so I think, are we the only therapy profession that's dual, dual qualified? I think we are. Think so, yeah. um, so in university, we're given a whole range of placements. So we tend to do half physical placements. So in hospitals, and in the community, and then half mental health placements. So I know for me, I did an eating disorders placement, and then I did a high secure um, placement in like a prison service. So the complete opposite end of the spectrum to this. Um, and although we don't have the exact same resources here in a physical setting, I think we still utilise quite a lot of those skills. And we that's kind of where our initial conversations come into this. We want mm-hmm. to know what these patients are interested in outside of 
of being a patient, what they like to do, what their goals are, like how they, how they feel, what their mood is like. Um, and I think it links in quite well with our cognitive work, kind of yeah. thinking about their memory. Are they orientated? Can they recall who's been to see them today? Do they know why they're in hospital? And kind of really understanding why they feel the way that they do, because it's such an overwhelming place to be I think knowing not only knowing their diagnosis but knowing they're surrounded by people in the same boat it can be really emotionally challenging for them and I think we try and draw on those skills as much as we can um, and I think we've got a great psychology medicine team here as well who are always happy to see patients with us if yeah. we if we need as well so Definitely. I think I think maybe we know to ask a few more difficult questions that others might not think of sometimes which is a good skill to have and I think it sort of helps even in situations where I think you know the whole process of being diagnosed with cancer and going through treatments and things like that is is really scary and I think people sometimes focus on oh you must be really down and actually people sometimes forget that it's it's really scary you know you're in hospital especially our stem cell patients which I know we've mentioned a lot and all our patients but I think because they're especially sort of secluded I think even things like we see a lot of anxiety and, and sort of panic in people and I think having those sort of core that core knowledge of how to deal with it means that when that happens we're able to sort of control that with the patient because I think sometimes especially panic attacks come across really scary yeah. and we can kind of you know look at the situation and, and, and know how to deal with it which I think is good for the patient rather than when someone's panicking and you're you know you're pressing the buzzer and everyone runs in and and actually it's just it's something that we can handle mm-hmm. um and I think it's it also helps with how how we ask our questions. We don't always yeah. have to be so direct and people tend to tell us how they're feeling and yeah. what they're struggling with. And I just think, I think it's a bit of a superpower, really. Yeah, I think people do, do kind of just somehow divulge a lot more in, information to our team than they do a lot of the others. I feel like we end up coming out of something being like, oh my God, I didn't know yeah. this had happened and it's a surprise to the whole team. So I think... I think it's a good little skill to have in our back pocket um and hopefully we'll get to use it more yeah hopefully, hopefully. we're gonna push <laughs> for it <laughs> you need a superpower badge don't you an ot one i know <laughs> that'll be nice <laughs> um so ladies are you involved in any research any projects at all so at, at the moment, we're quite a newly established team. So at the moment, we don't have a team lead. We have a new one starting ooh, a week a week on Monday. So that's very exciting. Um, so we're hoping over kind of the next six months, we're going to have a good few new services set up w- within our team. Um, so we are hoping to have our an outpatient service up and running. So we would have a clinic here where people would come in for face-to-face appointments with us to look at some more complex issues that they're having at home, a lot of um, anxiety and fatigue work, more complicated long-term issues that don't mean they have to be in hospital, but I think it's a bit of a gap in the market for our um, oncology patients that are in the community that don't necessarily need to be in hospital. Um, And as you mentioned before, we are hoping to set up a prehab service as well alongside the physios and the dietitians and things to kind of get people in the best shape possible to come in for their treatment. Mm-hmm. 
And then we're also hoping to set up um, CAR-T therapy here. So I think the hospital is just is in the middle of yeah. getting its kind of foot in the door with getting CAR-T therapy happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be involved in setting up kind of prehab yeah. services for them before they come in for that treatment as well. So it's, it's very, it's an exciting time to be at Clatterbridge, I think. We've all got so many ideas, I think, because we've been doing our, like, sort of in-service training and we've all taken turns sort of bringing something to the table. I think we've mm. all got our own little niches that we really want to work on. So yeah. um, I think, yeah, once we get our team lead in and we can kind of focus on yeah. that, yeah. very exciting. I'm, I'm thinking this time next year we're going to be in a completely different position. Yeah. I think that's exciting and I think it's going to make our days even more different than they are today because we'll have an outpatient day a prehab day inpatient Mm -hmm. days it's going to be all over the place but it's exciting I think they're positive changes for for us and for for the patients so see where things go but it's it's good looking positive yeah you'll have to have us on all over again (laughs) definitely feel like your new team lead doesn't know what's coming and they're not even started yet. I know, I know. Forget trust induction. This is what we need now. Yeah, don't, don't put this out until, um, until she's know. actually started. Don't <laughs> so in uh, November is Occupational Therapy Week. And obviously some a part of what Joe and I do, and we've done loads of STEM like work in school and whatever, is about myth-busting, about therapeutic yeah. radiographers what do you wish the general public knew about occupational therapy and what are some of the misconceptions? I, th- I mean, so many things. Yeah, so many things. <laughs> I think, obviously, I mean, the, the first one we initially said was obviously we're not Occy Health, so that's probably the main one. Um, but I think probably, I think people that know a little bit about OT kind of really put us in the bracket of kind of pretty much the same as physio. So I think... I mean, we work so closely with our with our physio friends and mm. they're amazing. I think OTs and physios do kind of go hand in hand with each other, but we really are so different. And I think people see us on the wards and we go and see patients together and it looks like we're doing the same thing. And actually, um, you know, we've both got completely different things that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like, you know, helping to get someone out of bed. So the physio's looking at sort of muscle strength and, and movement. And obviously we, we look at that, but what we're sort of thinking of, okay, how can we... How can we help this patient do this? What can we provide that's going to make this a bit easier, make them a bit more independent? So mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest biggest ones, really. That, And I think it, it, it's difficult because in some settings, obviously, people are, like, blended. So you'll have OTs that kind of do a bit of physio work and physios that do a bit of OT work. So, I, you know, I totally appreciate it. It's not as easy as... Because you might go speak to an OT tomorrow that does do some physio bits. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's probably the biggest one for me is that Yes, we're similar, but we are not the same at all. Mm-hmm. And I also think, because there's so many different teams of us, so I think the OTs that work in the community, and particularly the ones in social services, are the people that can look at getting people wet rooms and stair lifts and doing big crazy things to people's houses. And I think people come into hospital and think, oh, they'll get me that, they'll have it out in two days for me, and then we're kind of having to broach that with and be like, actually, actually, we can't do that. Like, there's a whole different process that you'd have to go through in the community to get that sorted, and not everyone's eligible for it. So I think it's there's a lot of more education that can be done for patients, and I, and I think for the general staff population to understand 
exactly what we do and, and what the limits to that are but I think we're on our on our way we've been doing lots of promotional work and as you've seen we've been sending that video out nationwide <laughs> we're famous now so I can't, I can't take, I'm not going to take any credit for that one I wasn't in that one <laughs> wish I was wish I was I suppose linking to what your staff knew for anyone who's listening who I don't know works in an oncology department but doesn't necessarily have access to working with an OT what are yeah. your limits so say for example I have a a patient who needs some help at home lives alone could I get you to help sort something out at home like a a lift to get them up and down their stairs at home for example mm-hmm. so we can't I don't know if it's different in other places but for us here we can't order stair lifts or anything like that Uh, we can refer people to have an assessment by the social services occupational therapists but a lot of the time they have kind of six months to a year waiting list so it's quite a difficult conversation that we have to have with patients a lot of the time thinking about if that's something that's really really important to you can we look at maybe self-funding for that can we look if see if there's any grants or charities that can support with putting that in place for you it's just i think it's a huge shame that we can't do get those things for people we would love to um but yeah we just we can help signpost people in the right direction or kind of look at alternatives whether that be one floor living and how they can access them the most of their house as possible really but it's hard those limitations are hard because i know I can only speak for myself, but I know I would. I wish I could give everyone exactly what they wanted, but there are, are limits in it. It's hard. I, I think probably the easiest way, I would say, was to think, you know, is this, is this patient off their baseline? You know, were they, when they came to hospital, were they able to do everything by themselves or did they have sort of minimal help by family? And if you're looking at them and you think... There's no way this person can go home and, and can cook themselves their tea or, you know, they can get themselves out of bed because they're needing that support here. Then I would say just even if you're still unsure, just give give an OT a ring. We're, yeah. we're generally very friendly. Oh, yeah. We're ha- and if any if and I would say to any of our the professions here, if anyone wants to come and spend a day with us, come and see some patients with yeah. us, watch what we do, have a look at how we approach things. I think we would always encourage that and and vice versa i think there's no no harm can be done by everyone spending time with each other and and understanding yeah um, yeah definitely i think it's the best thing for all of us and it's the best thing for the patients so mm-hmm. share the love yeah. let's all just <laughs> practice and learn <laughs> I thought you could go practice and learn oh you know what i'm going to ask have you been into a radiotherapy department they actually do tours here mm-hmm. Um, and then let us go and spend. I think I went and spent the morning with them. It I, that it's so complicated, so complicated. <laughs> it looks so overwhelming. The thousands of computer screens. Um, one of my housemates at university is a therapeutic radiographer, and he used to get me to read his assignments, and it was straight over my head. It's so scientific. I could not <laughs> could not believe. But I think it's great that they offer us that chance to go and and shadow and and see what it's like for the patients i think it helps us empathize with them with regards to their treatment as well if we understand it better so yeah it's it's a good opportunity here it's great 
Yeah, absolutely. I think from our perspective, working with patients, knowing that other healthcare professionals are also kind of preparing them for treatment it is amazing because we often won't get the opportunity to build a rapport with that patient before they step foot in the department yeah. and it is scary and overwhelming and like you um you know people don't necessarily hear lots about radiotherapy they don't hear about therapeutic radiographers so yeah it's it's amazing that you get that opportunity and i suppose i would just encourage all departments to consider how they could do rotations for people to just view other healthcare professions and and along the oncology pathway how can you empathize with a patient if you've never done that or you've also never seen what they have to go through exactly in it and it's hard isn't it like we have i think we have really good communications training here um just to try and help us put into perspective how big and complicated of a journey it is and the more we know the better we can help them understand what's going on and, and empathize so yeah the more experiences we can all share and learn the better the better for us and for them really yeah because we're just we're just a snapshot in it really i suppose aren't we from yeah because we're not necessarily there at the beginning we're not necessarily there at the end but i think we're kind of a snapshot in the middle and yeah yeah it's something i haven't done is, is spent time with the the radiographers therapeutic radiographer. do it that's, that's so tomorrow's to do, to do list first thing on my to-do list <laughs> <laughs> i love it cpd and a podcast yeah. all in yeah, one, one week that's pretty way. impressive <laughs> i'll just start banging on <laughs> so we've come to the end now it comes far too quickly but our last question that we all always propose to everyone who comes on the podcast is have you got any top tips um, whether that be to patients, students training to become a healthcare professional, um, or potentially patients themselves, um, you know, whoever you think might be listening, what would your top tips be? I mean, I, I think for students, I would always encourage them to do a bit of research. I think this Clatterbridge was my first ever placement at university, so it's nice that I've come full circle and come back here but I think there's connotations with oncology thinking it's going to be a very sad environment it's all kind of end of life care um and I think I'll just encourage them to kind of broaden their horizons and think about it a bit differently it's not it's not all like that obviously there are some really really sad days that we have here but it's an amazing thing to be a part of their journey so I would always encourage them to not discount us and always go for a placement come and have a visit round come and speak to us and just learn more about it I think the more different placements they can experience the better OT they're going to be when they qualify I think yeah and I think sort of leading on from like being open-minded as well is just no no questions a stupid question so you know ask us absolutely anything and everything and we'll try our best to answer but I think for me when I first sort of found out about OT i contacted sort of independent practitioners asked what they did you know I did some work experience at the local hospital and I think you know with the way the NHS is at the moment it's not necessarily something that people I would say are as drawn to working in as what they were mm. before so I think it's really important to just be super open-minded ask lots of questions to whoever you can and yeah just yeah I think if, if you're I think a patient if you're unsure whether you might benefit from us I would just say if you have something you want to work towards if you've got a goal in mind ask one of the nurses or your doctor just to refer you 
it, it doesn't even have to mean you're stuck with us for months at a time. It could just be a, like a triage phone call that we could do or just mm-hmm. a one, one-off chat just to make sure that they're okay, talk through any questions they've got and things might crop up as something that we can look at or they might be okay, but I think if, if they have something they want to work towards, then we would always go and see them. Yeah, yeah We're not scary, we'll talk to anyone. And I think we, we can... I think for for patients as well is that we also learn a lot from you so yeah just yeah. It, it's not all about you learning from us it's about us learning from yeah. you as well and and I think yeah. that's that's the most interesting thing about this job yeah and I think every patient here has made me a better not just OT but a better person yeah. so I'm very thankful to them we get a lot out of this job as much as they do so Definitely. it's a it's a two-way street Oh, thank you so much. And what a way to finish. Um, that's a really lovely sentiment. And you are a credit to the OT profession, both of you. So thank you so much. So thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been Naman Jalka Anderson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with this podcast episode. Thanks, everyone.